we're talking about what it means to be confessional. And I think a lot of people don't even know to ask that question. What does it mean to be confessional? It's kind of a foundational identity for our church, but what is it contrasted with? How, what are we even thinking about when we're thinking about confessional? Yeah, that's a, um, a, one of the questions we often get when people come here to visit is, you know, well, what does it mean to be Reformed? And um, most people in their minds kind of think, well, to be Reformed is to believe in, um, you know, predestination. It's to believe the five points of Calvinism. And that's certainly a part of being a Reformed church. But when I usually respond, well, to be Reformed is to be confessional, and uh, of course, people don't have that category, uh, which is why it's important for us to have this this conversation. Uh, but when I use the word confessional, um, I'm really kind of getting at um, this idea that every Christian tradition, every church um, has an ethos, and an ethos is is like a way of life, or it's a way it's a it's how we experience a church, right? It's ethos. And so doctrine and what a church believes is really important for shaping an ethos, but, but there's way more to that than you can't just look at the five points of Calvinism and sort of you know, know what a church is going to be like and understand it. But I think this idea of being confessional is a really important category. And it's, and it's actually one that I find that people uh, don't understand very well, even people who grow up in Reformed churches. Uh, but to be confessional, uh, I mean, at a basic level, just to start with a definition, is just like uh, it's a, a Christian tradition that believes in confessions, right? So we have confessions. Uh, we have it's called the three forms of unity, um, which include the Belgic uh, Confession, the Heidelberg Catechisms, and the Canons of Dort. Uh, but Lutherans are confessional. They have the formula of Concord, which includes like the Augsburg Confession and the large and small catechism that Luther wrote. Um, so those are confessions, and even you know historic Anglicanism. Um, uh, kind of has uh, the, the 39 articles, which aren't quite a confession, uh, but, but it really refers to Reformation-era churches that held uh, confessions as sort of guiding faith documents. And part of those confessions include not just what the church believes about the nature of God and salvation, but also how to live. And um, it's helpful, I think, to just see what confessional is contrasted to um, and, you know, in America, like, usually I'll tell people, um, when you think about being Christian in America, generally we think in, like, three three different ways to be Christian. Um, and especially in a place like Milwaukee, right? You know, you can be uh, a mainline Protestant, you can be uh, an evangelical Protestant, or you can be Roman Catholic. Those are generally the options. There's more than that. So when So when you say ethos, you mean a way of kind of relating to the world, and and those are three different ethoses that you're talking about, the mainline Protestants, evangelicals, and Roman Catholics. Yeah. But then you're saying confessional is a, another... It's another way of, of relating. It's in, in more not just relating to the world, but like how we relate the faith to the world, right? Like, which encompasses things like how we worship, how we think about mission... Um, how we gather as a community. Those are all the pieces that that form a kind of con- this ethos of being Christian. But when you think about uh, those three categories um, of Roman Catholic, um, mainline Protestant, and evangelical, like most, a lot of times people kind of have like a general sense of what 
what those look like. Um, but I think less so um, a ref- kind of a confessional understanding. So p- when people come to our church, they if they have um, never been to a Reformed church or a confessional church, they get a little confused because they're like, well, sometimes it seems really evangelical. <laughs> sometimes it, but when I worship and I, the liturgy feels really Roman Catholic at times. And, and so um, I think it's important just to kind of have some categories for being, to being confessional. I mean, one of the questions too, and this is really a, um, a general phenomenon amongst American Christians, but especially amongst those who are growing up in an evangelical context and that come to us, which is, well, why do I need a tradition, right? Why do I need, uh, you know, denominations and all that stuff? I just follow Jesus. I just read the Bible. And again, I think part of being confessional is a recognition that, um, you know, faith is always uh, mediated to us through the history of the church. And um, I think America is like one of those unique places where we think we kind of have immediate access to Jesus and the Bible without the church, right? We tend to have an anti-institutional history that gets reflected in how we live out the faith. Um, but I, I'm always reminded of, and uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he opens he opens that, that book, which is an argument for just the, the reasonability of the Christian faith. And uh, he says, you know, and I'm, I'm not arguing for a specific tradition. Uh, mere Christianity, I'm arguing for mere Christianity, but mere Christianity is, is just an, ab- an abstract thing. It's like a hallway. Um, but you can't live in a hallway. You have to actually go into rooms, and rooms are like traditions. And in the rooms are chairs and fireplace, fireplaces, and, and that's, you, you need a tradition and to, to inhabit like the hallway, right? And I think that's a really important thing because, again, a lot of times like traditions like evangelicals, like, well, I just believe in Jesus and the church, in the Bible. And, but like that in itself is its own tradition, right, in America that I think sometimes we don't really appreciate. So what are those, what are the confessional characteristics? Uh, there's three categories that, that I like to, to introduce people to, which is uh, to be a confessional Christian in this Protestant sense. This, and I think this would be true of, of Lutherans as well. We, kind of, we share a lot with, with uh, confessional Lutheranism. Um, that those three things are to be evangelical, to be uh, Catholic, and to be biblical. Okay. To be evangelical, uh, Catholic, and biblical. Okay, but you just said that we're not part of the evangelical tradition. So you're using that word. What is that? What do you mean by that word? Yeah, so evangelical is one of those words, especially in our uh, a kind of political moment, that it's a word for many people that just has political connotations or so cultural connotations, which is evangelicals are people who vote conservative or voted for Trump. or But the kind of in the classical sense, uh, I mean, evangelical is a, is a complicated word, but um, in, in, the, in the traditional sense, evangelical refers to gospel, right? Like it's a biblical word the the uh, evangela right it's good news right so when the reformers are you the the protestant reformers martin luther john calvin um when they're using this word uh evangelical uh what they mean it to refer to explicitly are doctrines of grace right so to be Jew, to be evangelical 
in the confessional reform sense and the Lutheran sense is to believe in justification by faith alone. That, you know, we are saved, we are right with God by believing faith, right? And so that's the sense in which I mean evangelical. And so it's more of a technical uh, sense. And I think it's important not to give that word up. Um, just because it has a lot of bad political, cultural connotations. So when you say that confessional, the confessional tradition is evangelical, you don't mean it's politically conservative. No. <laughs> you mean it's rooted in this tradition of Protestantism that is focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Correct. And in fact, um, I let me. Uh, I want to just share one of the uh, question and answers from the Heidelberg Catechism that I think defines this, because it's, a, again, it's just helpful, right? And so, um, you know, this is a confession that was written in uh, the 16th century, right? So this is uh, <clears throat> uh, hundreds of years ago. But so this is question and answer, and the question is, how are, how are you righteous before God? And the answer that the Catechism gives is this, and I'll just read it somewhat slowly, and I'll, I'll make a few comments on it. Um, how are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ, even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness and holiness of Christ as if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner, and as if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for, of, for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. So this sort of, there's a lot of theology packed into this, uh, but the idea on, of the answer is, that gives us is that, you know, salvation um, is a free gift of God that is uh, received um, by believing faith. Um, and it's, <clears throat> so this is like the heart of the Reformation. Um, L Martin Luther talked about uh, the doctrine of justification as um, the article of faith upon which the church stands or falls, right? And when you go back to the 16th century and you look at the Lutheran, the Reformed, the Anglicans, they're all in agreement on the doctrine of justification. Um, that uh, you know you're saved by faith, not by works, um, and there, this is as again to quote Calvin, the the hinge of true religion. And so there's a couple I think really important consequences or things that follow that shape the ethos um, based on the doctrine of justification by faith. Um, and part the first one is just you know what I've been saying, which is that salvation is through believing faith. And, of course, you know, we, in future podcasts, we can talk about, you know, work this out a little bit more what that means. But believe in faith isn't simply uh, just a kind of an intellectual, like, assent. Like, oh, I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I believe that, right? The, the catechism goes on um, and talks about true faith is it's sure knowledge, um, it's wholehearted trust, and it's, it's something that happens through a work of the Spirit. So believe in faith is, is really... Um, yes, it's it's my 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 assent intellectually to a truth, but it but it really points to how my whole life then gets reoriented around that. Does that make sense? Two of the other I think 
points that are important to note about the re- the confessional understanding of grace as being evangelical is that um, salvation is is the presupposition of our life rather than the goal. In the Roman Catholic tradition, um, uh, salvation is the goal of life, right? You know, you're carried along by grace, but it's important along the way to cooperate with that grace. And uh, there's no assurance quite in the same way. And so that's why you have purgatory, because like if you don't kind of reach the end point before you die, you have purgatory to kind of work off the merit to... Because uh, there's sort of merit that's involved in achieving salvation. Um, so there's a sense that, that salvation is what you hope for and you aspire for. And there's a way in which that is an important motivator for righteousness and good works and things like that. Where the, the Reformers had a very different approach where salvation isn't the, the goal of my life. I don't aim and, achieve, and hope to be saved. But salvation is rather the presupposition, right? It's it's the starting point of my life, and um, I think that just creates a very different uh, kind of context from which you talk about um, uh, the Christian life, and you have a sense of assurance before God. And this leads to this other piece too. And so, one of the criticisms that Catholics historically have made and of the of the reformers was that, well, if if salvation is a presupposition of life rather than being the goal then why do good works what motivates you to be good or to be righteous and again the reformers are said you know good works are actually they're not the cause of our salvation but they're the result right they're 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 the sign that we truly believe and that good works actually flow from a life that has a sense of security so there's there's a real difference here that that you know um has not gone away in in 500 years between Roman Catholic and and kind of an evangelical Protestant, like in this classical sense. But you still say then that we are Catholic. So how are we related to, how does that work out? How is that a mark of being confessional if we're not Roman Catholic? Right. This is always one of the things that will happen sometimes in our worship service, after a worship service. So we, we always have, say, the creed from the Apostles' Creed and one of the lines is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And people come up to me and, you know, like they're uncomfortable. It's like, well, are you Roman Catholic or why don't, you know, why don't you take that out? And some churches will even, who recite the creed, take the word Catholic out and put universal in. But um, to, when I say Catholic, I do not mean Roman Catholic, right? The, the, the word Catholic um, is actually a word that emerges in the first century um, to describe the church, universal. Um, and so we're not Roman Catholic, but I like to say that, you know, we're Reformed Catholics. And there's a lot of different ways to be Catholic, right? You can be Lutheran and Reformed. Um, but Catholicity or is a, is a really important category that I don't think it, just like I don't want to give up the word evangelical because it's become politicized, I don't want to give up the word Catholic because we associate it with the Roman Catholic uh, Church as a denomination tradition. Um, so when I think about, you know, when I, when I talk about being Catholic, there's usually uh, a number of different points that I like to draw people's attention to, which is, one, it, it, you know, to talk about the church being Catholic, it's just a, it's like an imagination or a vision of the church, which is the church is universal, right? So, so as we gather at City Reformed Church on a Sunday morning to worship, we realize, like, we're not, like, the only true church in town. Like, there's... There's all kinds of, there's hundreds, uh, thousands of Christians and, 
and hundreds of churches across Milwaukee that are gathering and worshiping that belong to this Catholic church, right? And some of those churches are Roman Catholic churches, right? So in other words, that the church is bigger than simply the local congregation. And it's, it's, that's the case not just in the per- current moment in terms of churches across the United States and the globe internationally, but also the church across time. So we, you know, we stand within this church that's thousands of years old, this tradition and faith. And so um, I think that's just a really important understanding as we worship together. It's like we're not a little, just a little tribe in Milwaukee on the east side where we belong to this bigger, bigger tradition and faith of people. So when you say universal, um, you don't mean that all people are part of the church. You mean we are part of this body of all Christians throughout time and space. That's right. That's right. I'm not meaning you, you know all humanity as part of the church. <clears throat> what I'm saying is that, but you have this vision continually in the scriptures where God is drawing people to Himself, His elect, or His His the church, which means to be called out in the Greek. Ekklesia just means the called out ones, right? The the elected ones. Um, Israel was spoken of in these terms, and when the gospel goes out from from Israel to all the nations. God is doing a work. This is, you know, throughout all the nations. And so the universe, the universal character of the church is simply that, you know, God has um, people for himself in every nation and tribe from beginning of time to the end of time that he's gathering in. And that together makes up the church Catholic. And we're part of that. Yeah, we are part of that. We're just like one little piece, right? Um, but we participate in this whole to be Catholic is to be universal, to have this universal sense. But to be Catholic is also to have a creedal understanding of the church. Um, and I, and so by creedal, um, you know, I've already referenced the, the you know, confessions um, in, in the Apostles' Creed. But to be a creedal church is, again, like what we share in common with other churches. So, so there's a lot of churches in the world um, and so like, well, then what makes them Catholic? Like, what's that thing we hold in common? And it's the creedal faith thing. Um, so we will, in our worship service, most Sundays, we always are confessing the creed. So the Apostles' Creed, which was written in the 5th century. But we also have other creeds as well, like the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. And broadly speaking, um, all Orthodox churches, churches that still believe, you know, in the, in the historic sense, um, whether they read a creed on a Sunday morning or not, are creedal, right? They, they still affirm um, that God is triune, that Jesus is, you know, fully God and fully man, that he is not like sort of, you know, part God. <laughs> um, and that's part of the creedal faith. And so like we share that and, you know, other, other forms like Catholic forms like that we share with other traditions are like the Lord's Prayer. Um, there's all kinds of ways, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Again, these are these are signs and symbols and practices of the church that, again, unify churches across time and space um, and ways that, that, even though they might be expressed slightly differently, are still kind of that, that Catholic base. What else does Catholic mean? 
I think that Catholic also, just as a last piece um, here, um, to use that word Catholic means that you think of Christianity as um, the church is necessary um, for the Christian life. Uh, there's a, a quote from Cyprian, one of the early church fathers, that's quite um, gets to the point of this. He says, you, you can't have uh, God as your father without the church as your mother. So I think you you just made a lot of people really nervous there. Good. <laughs> so what? I mean, one of the one of the core doctrines of the the Reformation um, that that we affirm is this idea of sola scriptura, right? The um, scripture is our highest authority. Yeah. And what you're saying is is the church is a critical, essential, even. To our faith, how do those, how do those two things work together? Yeah. Well, this gets to that 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 third that third piece there, which is um, that um, the third mark, which is that the church, the mark of a, being confessional, is to be biblical. And and here, you know, when we think about being a biblical church, I mean, really, the question we're asking is, well, how does how does um, how does authority function in the life of the church? Uh, part of what, you know, again, this is one of the harder things for people to kind of wrap their minds around because they, um, they hear two different things. But what I, so be patient with me here as I try to kind of help you see the connection between these two. But to be confessional is to be biblical. In other words, we understand that scripture is our ultimate authority uh, the highest authority for for life and doctrine, right? Now, I said our highest authority, and I, I kind of misspoke there a little bit because our highest authority is actually Jesus, right, and and God Himself. And uh, we don't worship the Bible; <laughs> uh, we worship Jesus and and the Triune God. But God gives to us the Scriptures, inspired by the Spirit, in order to guide our life and our doctrine and to know Him, right? And just even this difference is, is helpful to begin, help us to understand how authority works. Because when you think, well, I, I believe what the Bible says. Well, okay, uh, but the Bible is a kind of complex book, right? Um, there's, it's not as if everything is apparent and people are disagreeing about what it says on a lot of different issues. And so then that question is, well, then, you know, which version of the Bible do you believe or what do you believe the Bible says? And this is where tradition comes in. Right? And this is where confessions and creeds are really important. When you go back to the early church, um, one of the, the first early controversies that it struggled with, which is had to do with, well, who is Jesus in relationship with to God? Because it seems like he's doing things and saying things um, that put him at the same level as God, the creator, which in that context was just, you know, you're saying God is a man, you know, a man can be God. This is just violates all our concepts of categories for being God. Um, and the early church really wrestled with the scriptures and they developed what they called these rules of faith, which turned into the early creeds, which is, you know, we've read scripture carefully. We've, we've argued, we've debated, and it's clear that Jesus is putting himself at the same level of God, but he's still fully man. He's still fully human. And so um, what ends up happening is 
these rules of faith or these creeds come into into um, existence to kind of regulate how we read the scriptures, right? So I always think of, I talk about the creeds like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed um, as like grammars almost, right? Like when you think about, when you learn a language. Now, when you learn a language, a native language, you're not usually being taught grammar, but it's it's usually assumed. But when you learn a new language, you got to learn like how to parse verbs or how no, nouns and prepositions and all these things work. That's the grammar, right? You normally don't think about it when you're talking, when you know a language. Um, but that's the same way that the creeds and confessions work. They kind of, they, they offer us uh, guidelines and grammars and syntax to how to read scripture, right? And these are things that are actually passed down to us um, through the church, right? And so we need them. We need the creeds and confessions to kind of guide us. Now that doesn't mean they're 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 infallible or they're without error or that we we don't go back and say well you know maybe they didn't quite get this exactly right, um, but you don't just you can't just go to the scriptures and pick it up and you know come up with what you think is true doctrine right off the bat. So what I hear you saying is, we are we do believe that scripture is the highest authority, but maybe not my interpretation of scripture. I, I maybe can't read scripture and say, oh, well, I know better than everyone else who's ever read scripture before. That's right. And that's part of like belonging to a tradition, right? And, and a confession is you have to start somewhere, right? Um, and I think always, this is what I like to tell people when it, when it comes to understanding um, the role that confessions and creeds play, right? That, that, um, in a confessional church, when, when we're properly relating to our, our creeds and confessions, which are tools for helping us, they're tools, basically. They're not ends in themselves. And so confessions and creeds should lead us deeper into the scriptures, um, not away from them, right? Um, they, they should help us understand the scriptures more faithfully, um, but they themselves are not the end, right? Um, but they kind of give us uh, avenues into Holy Scripture. And the other reality is this, right? Like we, you know, it's it's easy for us to take our own um, cultural experiences or personal experiences and interpret Scripture in the light of those things and, um, you know, kind of get off center. And there's something really powerful about belonging to a tradition and having these confessions that kind of anchor us in the storms of you know, culture wars and all these different things that happen and kind of keep us centered. They're, they're tools and they're, they're, in a sense, maps for us that should lead us deeper into um, in our worship of the triune God um, that should keep us also focused on the most important things in the scriptures. Um, I think it's easy sometimes to, to kind of, you know, get lost in a you know, a kind of a swampy backland of the Bible and to get really focused on like some fringe issue as like a, as like really central and important, right? Um, you know, one that people used to get really tripped up on a lot is simply, you know, like, well, what is your view of the end times? When is God coming back or Jesus going to come again or the rapture and all these things? And, you know, those are important questions, but like, they're not like the central questions, right? And it's so important for us. And again, when we have the, the confessions, they kind of lay out like, here's the center of the faith, right? And again, this is what I mean by Catholic. Like, 
to be Catholic is to be centered, is, is to focus the major on the majors and not on the minors. I think that's a really important thing that confessions help us do.